Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, TC. Let's give it up for Jesus one more time all across this place. Man, we're so excited you guys are here. Welcome. We're going to jump straight into our next part for This Is Us. And um, I remember growing up uh, constantly hearing stories. So uh, as a pastor, my dad is also a pastor. He's on the front row, Pastor Dan over here. And so, uh, yeah, and so I remember growing up hearing stories, but his stories are much different than mine. I've only pastored in Florida, in the panhandle of Florida. Now, we did have some church locations that were a little bit rough. I'm not going to lie to you. We saw some interesting things on the west side, all right? Not, not going to lie to you, all right? But his stories are so much different than mine because his ministry started in the South Bronx in the 80s, all right? And so uh, his very first job on staff at his church was uh, his church was between two buildings that people would shoot up drugs in. They would throw needles out the window, and he would have to go clean up the needles in the parking lot before they could have the staff come in and park. He had to do that every day. And I'm like, that's a little different than what I do every day here at Transformation Church. And so he would tell me these stories. And so he, he pastored in the Bronx. He pioneered a church in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. And that was a very interesting experience. But I remember growing up hearing all these crazy stories uh, about Pastor Dan pastoring in all these environments. And, and every time he would tell me a story, I was so encouraged because I was like, man, like, there's rich legacy that I'm attached to right now. Like I, I would think about that and, and maybe you can connect to some, in some shape, form or fashion to someone before you or a generation before you or a grandparent or a parent or something where, where you can connect who you are to the good parts of how they raised you, right? And, uh, and, and that was kind of what happened. In, and it takes me to the Old Testament of the Bible where, uh, and, and we're gonna kind of go there in the book of Genesis where this idea of altars and wells shows up. And so uh, what happened in the Old Testament is forefathers, they would go to a new land, and when they went to that land, they would do two things. They would dig a well, right, to pull water from. They would also build an altar to worship at. And that well and that altar wasn't just for them, but it was for the generations that were going to come after them. And so for generations and generations after them, they got to keep using the same wells and worshiping God at the same altars, right? And as I thought through what it means to be connected to a legacy, a heritage, this one word always comes to mind, and it's honor. So turn to your neighbor and say honor. So it's this idea of honor. And so in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I kind of want to show you what I'm talking about today, and then I want to help you with perhaps ways that honor can show up in all of our lives, but also how it shows up here at Transformation Church. By the way, if you're new, this is us as a new series that we're doing to introduce people that you're going, man, I love TC. I'm kind of new here. And we want to show, we're walking through all of our values to show you what every one of them are so that you can know if you want to call TC home, this is what it means to be part of TC. All right. And so we're going to do that today. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Uh, God is speaking to Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so I want us to look at that for a second. He says, I will make you into a great nation. So he's saying, I'm going to take you. And even though this has never been part of your life before, it's never been part of your heritage before, I'm going to do something in your life that's never been done for your life before. But more importantly, he says, and then 
you will be a blessing. So he says, listen, God says, I'm not just going to do it for you, but I'm going to do it for you so that I can do it through you for the people that come after you. And so he keeps on going. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed. What does it say? Through you. And I believe that God has a desire not just to do something in our lives, but listen to me, do something through our lives. God's desire isn't that what he does for us, he would only do for us so that we can get through today and make it to tomorrow. However, how many of you guys have ever been in one of them seasons before? Like, how are you doing today? You're like, brother, I'm just trying to get to tomorrow, right? And then tomorrow gets here and you're like, oh, dear heavens, can I go back to yesterday? Okay, like, but he says, I'm going to do it through you. And then he goes to verse 8. Talking about Abraham, from there, from, uh, there he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, I on the east, there he built a what? Altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And so Abraham goes, he digs these wells in this area, he builds this altar, right? And he did it not just for him, but also for the generations after. And this is why this is important. Because wells and altars establish a place of belonging. I want you to think about this for a second. Abraham is in a new place that he's never been before. He's in a new environment he's never been before. He's in a new land that God is giving him. Listen, and putting your cattle there is one thing, but how many guys know you can move cattle, right? Some of you are like, I don't know that. I've never been around cattle before, uh, right? But you can move animals. You can change where you get a number of things. Like Everything that says this is my residence can be changed, but listen to me, the only thing that you can't do is move wells. In other words, he was saying, this is my place of belonging. This is where we belong. And I think this is important when we understand honor and legacy. And so here's the question that I have for you. I want you to, I want you to chew on this for a second. Am I truly establishing a life of honor? Am I truly establishing a life of honor? And the reason that this matters is if we're not establishing a life of honor, we don't have a life of honor to give to the generation that comes after us. And so it's important that we understand what it looks like to establish a life of honor. And so I want to give you three keys to, to doing that. But I want to unpack it again in ways that it can affect your home. Say home. That means you, your family, your home, but also how it affects our house. Say house, meaning our church, our church family, our faith family, what we do as a house. So I want to show you your home and I want to show you your house. And the first thing I want you to know is honor is established in principles and solidified in practices. Honor is established in principles, but it's solidified in practices, right? So here's the way most people think. Some people think that we establish something by our practice, but we don't establish something by our practice because practices can change. How many of us have ever set out at the beginning of the week, this week is going to go this way, and come Tuesday, it was not going that way, right? How many of you have ever been like, you know what, I'm going to start living godly. I'm not going to cuss anybody out this week. Come Monday, you got to work at 8.50. Come 9.10, someone is testing you in that arena, Right? Because how many guys know the way that the wind blows can change how you practice? Well, listen to me. The wind blowing doesn't have to change your principles. And we establish it in principles, but it's solidified in our practices, right? So, so principles versus practices. Practices, I want to give you something practical here. Practices are something we do, but principles are the foundation that what we do comes from. I'll put it to you like this. Practices can vary, 
when we make decisions, but principles won't. And our principles guide our practices. So what we say we are, who we believe we are, dictates our behavior. How many of you have ever been given the opportunity to make a decision that was contrary to the character you had already established? And it wasn't that you didn't want to do that thing. It was because something in you was telling you you wouldn't do that thing is the reason you didn't do it, right? Because your principle was guiding your practice. And so we have to understand that principles matter because principles guide our practice. In our homes, we have to have values. In our homes, we've sat down, we've kind of talked through values we want to have in our home. One of them is integrity. We always want to have integrity. This is just for me and Ashley. Feel free to take what you want. I encourage everybody, if you don't have a set of values for your home, you need to. Because values is what you give to the next generation, right? These are things that I've actually learned from my dad and I learned from watching Ashley's dad that we established for our home. Integrity. The next one is compassion. You want to know why I have a principle of compassion? Because I'm not good at practicing it. Don't look at me like that. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's a principle because it's not a habit. So how do I make it a habit? By making it a principle. When we look for opportunities, we're going to be compassionate on other people. Generosity is a value for us. We're going to be generous. Lately, Ashley and I have been trying to invest. We were getting ready to make an investment decision recently. And that investment decision would have put us in a place that we could not be as generous to people as we wanted to be. And we made a decision not to make that investment because it was going to rob us of a principle that we already said we were going to hold to. So we didn't do the practice because it would have disrupted the principle. You see how it works? And so generosity, the next one is faith. We're going to believe God for the supernatural. And then the last one, what we're talking about today, is honor. We're going to honor people, right? And here's the reason why I think this is important. This is something we need to grab a hold of because God honors honor. I'm going to say it again. God honors honor. When you show honor, God honors you. When you show honor, God honors you. So what's the best way to make sure that you're standing in a place of honor when it comes to the Lord? Honor others, right? It's not that hard. I should say, it's simple. It may not always be easy. We'll put it that way. And so what do we do? We honor others. But here's the thing I want you to understand, especially for you parents in here. Listen, your kids might remember your practices, but they will repeat your principles. Your kids might remember your practices, but they'll repeat your principles, right? And so here's the thing that I want you to grab a hold of. They'll put it on the screen. If you're not intentionally instilling the right principles, you're unintentionally instilling the wrong ones. If you're not intentionally saying this is who we are, you're unintentionally giving them the freedom to dictate who they are. And how many guys have noticed that teenagers can be a little bit sideways on who they think they are sometimes? (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Right? So what do we do? How do we make sure the next generation stays on track? Right? What do we do? We give them principles, not just show them practices. But hear me, this is what's important for all of us. Whether you're talking about kids or coworkers or whatever, it's important that your practices line up with your principles. And so this is always important because we need to identify these things in our life. That's why here, here's a tangible example I want to give. I just want to help you out for a second. Is that okay? Honesty versus integrity. Right? You can be honest as a practice, but integrity is a principle. Right? So we'll put it this way. Honesty is when your words line up with your actions. Integrity is when your actions line up with your words. We want to be, we want to have integrity. And because we want to have integrity, we want to be honest. Right? Unless the speed limit is ridiculously low. (laughs) I think we should, you know, I think my speed is the right speed at all times. Anybody relate? 
I was behind someone recently, and they were driving, and I was, they were going about seven over the speed limit, but my personal opinion, that speed limit should have been about 10 miles per hour higher. I was frustrated. They were going seven over. I'm mad at them. Like, get out of the way, right? And then, uh, my wife, Ashley, was like, they're going, the, they're going seven over. I'm like, well, this is the ridiculous speed limit that we're going on this road right now, right? Now, I know none of you have ever thought that in your entire life, right? I'm just kidding. I've seen people run red lights that go to this church. I might have ran one. Anyway, it didn't matter. Okay, so... But here's the thing, we need to do that. Psalm 25, 21, may integrity and uprightness protect me, David says, because my hope, Lord, is in you. In other words, I want to keep my integrity. I want to keep my honesty. I want to, I want to maintain an uprightness before you, right? My hope is in the Lord. But here's one thing I want to help you understand when it comes to relationships, when it comes to honor in your home for a second. Say my home. All right? When it comes to honor in your home, you need to understand something. Honor isn't blind obedience, so I've sat down with a lot of people lately, and they said, man, my parents are demanding that I honor them, but every time I'm around them, it's toxic. Honor isn't blind obedience. And you do not have to subject yourself to environments that attack your character or bring you down just because you're trying to honor somebody. All right? So let me just tell you this. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just help you out with this. Sometimes the best way you can honor somebody is at a distance. Don't look at me like that. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. If being too close to them turns you into a person your principles don't want you to be, then the best way you can honor them is to honor them at a distance. All right? So hear me. When, the, when, when people quote the Bible, honor your father and mother, it's like I am. That's why I hang out with them three times a year, not 30 times a year. Because I can't do 30 or else I turn into the person I don't want to be. Come on, help me out, y'all. Like, you know what I mean? Turn to your neighbor and say, I get there sometimes, right? Like, so, like, so we, we want to we stay away from that kind of environment. Why? Because I'm trying to establish honor and sometimes proximity changes how I can honor. So the best thing for me sometimes, right? Now, not my parents, thank God, but I know tons of people. And listen, I have other family members. The best way I can honor them is with a good little gap between me and them. Six times a year, we're solid. You turn it into seven or eight, things get ugly real quick. All right? So this is the, like, what are we trying to do? But we're establishing honor. But hear me, in our house, that's in your home, but in our house, Transformation Church, one of the best ways that we establish honor is building a culture that constantly honors. But it's not, hear me, it's not just in our practices. It's part of our principles. But it goes beyond honor. For example, the reason we're teaching through these values, right? We don't, we don't just invite you to give at Transformation Church. We invite you to become part of a culture of generosity. Giving is a practice. You can be convinced to give or not to give or whatever. But when you buy into a principle of generosity, you're saying we're going to do this because we believe it's the best thing that God can call us to do with some of our finances. But it goes beyond our finances. What about our time? I'm giving. I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself to this. Why? Because this is, it's part of our principle, not just our practice. But God honors our principles. So what's one of the best ways you can posture yourself with honor is to give to the Lord so that he's honoring back. So we cultivate a culture of generosity. Same thing with lost people. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm here to tell you, we prioritize you. We think about you all the time. If you're watching online and you don't know Jesus right now, we think about you all the time. Because lost people are a priority to us. People that don't know Jesus yet are a priority. Listen, we don't just think about the lost, we do prioritize them. We don't think about them occasionally, we think about you continually. Why? Because the most important thing we can do is help people go from hell to heaven. 
That's part of our culture. It's not just practice. It's a principle. You know, so, so whenever we're thinking about things, we're constantly that. what's the next best way we can help reach people that are far from Jesus? And so it's about principles, but those things are solidified in our practices. But the next thing that matters is that we build a culture of reverence that establishes a legacy of honor. We build a culture of reverence that establishes a legacy of honor, right? Now, there's a big difference between respect and reverence because respect is something we should give to everyone in varying degrees. You feel me? So like everybody to a degree should get respect from us because that's how Christians just should treat people, right? Now, some people test that theory well, right? But we should, we should respect people, but then there's a reverence for people that we have deep admiration for, that we have, a, we have a, a solid conviction. Something is leading us to say, man, this person has invested. This person has done so much. I want to give them reverence. Turn to your neighbor and say reverence. So I want to give them reverence. I want to revere them. I, I, I want to, I, I, like, man, I have deep admiration for this person. And we should posture ourselves before people that have done so much for us that we have a reverence for them. How many guys, like, maybe you had a grandma or a parent or a grandfather you had a reverence for them that went beyond just respect, right? How many of you guys have ever had a teacher or a coach or someone that, like, you, you respected all your teachers, but you had that teacher that was just, it was a little bit different. You had an admiration for them, right? I had a science teacher. His name was uh, Joel Holland, Mr. Holland. Uh, I know some people know him. He was the absolute, like, gangster of all teachers, right? Two kids got in a fight one time. I saw him do, like, a Goldberg dive off the top rope and uh, tackle. It was amazing, right? So he instantly got my heart. Anyway, so... But one time we were in class, he said, has anyone ever told, any of your parents ever told you to turn the music down so you could study? And we were like, yes. And he said, today we're going to test that theory. And he comes walking in with giant PA speakers and he cranked up and he was playing like Dr. Dre, Metallica, and like five other different types of music. He's like, we're going to see which one you can study best at. And we had to memorize words and write down and whatever music we did best at was like, hey, that has helped you study. And like, it was amazing because then my parents would come and be like, hey, you need to turn the music down. You got to study. And I was like, ah. We've proven this theory. And so he was my favorite teacher. I, like, I have a reverence for him. He was amazing. In Hebrews 12, it says this, verses 28 through 29, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. So this is talking about how we look at God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. A reverence, a passion, and placing this person at the right place. And hear me, we should do it for God, but listen to me, we should also do it for the people that are representing God to us. And so when we, we should have a reverence for, for people that we're honoring. We should have a reverence for them. So God is establishing his kingdom, but hear me, he's using people to do it, and we should revere, we should have a reverence for people. Like, I look up to Pastor Dan so much, right? First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, to have a reverence for those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. In our homes, we need to have a reverence for people. We need to have a reverence for the generation before us. My dad, grew up, growing up, he would always tell me stories that my grandfather, his father, was the hardest working man he's ever known. I remember hearing stories. He worked for the same company for 20-something years. You could count on one hand how many days of work he missed in 20-something years, right? He was the hardest working man he's ever known. Well, guess who the hardest working man I've ever known is? My dad. And if you disagree, go work for him this week, 
<laughs> we got 20-somethings in here that are like, bro, PD is something else. I'm telling you right now, we didn't take water breaks, right? So <laughs> he's, a, he's the hardest working man I know. And if you were to ask my staff, they would tell you that I'm, I, I, at least I try to be one of the hardest working people they've ever seen. Why? Because it was something that got hand. I had, he had a reverence for his father. I have a reverence for my father. Why? We're trying to repeat the principles because we want people to know that it's biblical to work hard and to let God honor what you're working for. Right? And so we're trying to do that, but we want to build a culture of reverence. And so he's the hardest working man. But hear me, my spiritual children, I have spiritual children in this house, people that I've spiritually adopted and I lead them. I coach them on finances. We help them buy houses and cars. Like, not financially, we just educate them because uh, we ain't got it like that. But anyway, so like, but we, we try to, we help them, right? And so we're leading some, the, the, the young 20s in our church. They eat breakfast at my house. They eat the food out of my pantry, sometimes more food than I told them they could, right? So, like, see, so they really are children. So I, I, uh, so, but one of the things, uh, not early on in the like spiritual adoption process, sounds kind of ridiculous, but early on in the season, uh, some of them, they would reference my dad. And they, at one point, two different ones of them did this. They said, yeah, Dan and Kathy. And I said, Dan. I was looking at them. They were looking at me. I said, who? Dan and Kathy. I'm like, is there a different Dan or Kathy that we're talking about right now? They said, Who? no, your parents. I said, that's Pastor Dan and Miss Kathy. Because sometimes we got to help the young ones out. That ain't ha- they don't have any parent training. Okay, so I said, why? Is it a demand? Like did he ask for that? No, but I got some 20-something-year-olds that in their house that wasn't necessary, but we're raising a different generation spiritually if they're going to come and walk with me, right? So why? We're building a reverence for the next generation. Why? Because at some point, we got to stop complaining about what's happening in society and start making a difference in the next generation if we're going to see it shift, right? So we do it in our homes, but we also do it in our house, in our church. And this is so important. Matter of fact, uh, if you look over this way, I've got something that I have Pastor Dan bring in. So, so I, I told you earlier about the stories from New York and Cincinnati, right? And in New York and Cincinnati, um, Pastor Dan would tell me these crazy stories. And so one of the things that me and him are very similar in is that something sounds stupid will tell you. Okay, um, and so, uh, or if like you're about to do something and you can do it better than you think someone else would or cheaper than someone else would, we'll do it ourselves. All right. So, um, and so he was telling me a story. He was in New York, and I grew up with these stories. He was telling me a story. He was in New York. He had just came on staff. He was in his 20s, uh, and Pastor Dan's phenomenal when it comes to construction and building things. And they were about to put new windows in that church in the South Bronx, right? And the quote for the windows was stupid expensive, just tens of thousands of dollars. These windows are like 30 feet tall, 8 feet wide or something like that. He can tell you the right dimensions later, but it doesn't matter. So they were massive windows, and he said, we can build those. We don't need to pay for them. And the pastor looked at him and said, you're in charge. <laughs> it was like, okay. So, so they built these windows. They lasted for decades. And not too long ago, the church caught on fire. And the only way they could get the fire out, or at least the way they chose to put the fire out, was to break all of the windows that Pastor Dan had installed 30 years before that. Right? And it just so happened that I was in New York preaching at a church and I said, I want to go by and see Love Gospel is the name of the church. I want to go by and see it. And when we walked in, they said, you got to understand, it's it's like everything's black because it's, it was on fire. It was one of the worst fires in that area in a long time. And so I went over there and everything was, everything was just demolished. 
and I walk in and I saw the windows that were broken. And I was like, oh man, I need to, like, I started thinking in my mind for a second. I was like, Pastor, like my dad built these. 30 something years ago, he built these. And so um, I went dumpster diving in New York, which apparently is illegal. Maybe it's illegal in Florida too. People just don't care as much. I don't know, right? But so I went dumpster diving and I literally went in this brick and this piece of wood and this piece of glass right here. These are all items from the original building, original windows that Pastor Dan put in that church 30 something years ago. And I went into the dumpster and I started pulling out glass and pieces of wood and pieces of brick. And, and me and one of my spiritual sons, Kyle, came home and we built this shadow box because he taught me how to build things with my hands. And we built this shadow box and we put all of it in it and we gave it to him, I think, on Father's Day or something like that. Um, and we said, you know, they might have replaced the windows, but they can't take this from you. Right. And the reason I tell you this story is because it's important that we understand that at Transformation Church, part of what we experience every Sunday here. It's one thing to go to the well and get water out of it and not think about the person that dug it. But it's a whole other thing to realize that over 40 years ago, a man and a woman said yes to the call of ministry on their life. And if they had not said yes 40 years ago, this place wouldn't be here for us to worship in right now. And so we're going to establish, listen to me, we're going to establish a culture of reverence, even for Pastor Dan and Miss Kathy, my parents, right? Because we're going to build a legacy of honor that goes on and on at this church. So thank you, Pastor Dan and Miss Kathy, for, for saying yes. And so it's so important that we understand, because that brings us to the next thing, honor isn't something that's relegated, it's something that's reproduced, Honor isn't something that's relegated. How many guys have ever had parents say, do as I say, not as I do? Right? Honor isn't something that you tell the next generation to do. Honor is something you show the next generation how to do. Honor isn't something that you tell people to do. Honor is something you show people how to do. It's not something that's relegated. Hey, go do that. It's something that's reproduced. Watch me do this so you know how to do that. And in our lives, we need to build a culture of honor because it's not something we tell the next generation how to do. It's something we show them that we believe in, right? In our homes, I want to give this to you. In our homes, what does that look like? Listen, parents, you need to establish a place of honor in your homes with your kids. Areas where you failed as a parent, listen to me, areas where you failed as a parent isn't an excuse or a reason to continue to not do those things. And I sit down with parents all the time. They go, man, I failed so much in the past. I don't want to tell my kids this is how they should live their life. I'm like, so you're just going to let them figure it out on their own? Your failures of the past are not an excuse for you to not show them stuff for the future. So what do we want to do? We want to encourage those things. We need to establish a reverence in our home for elders. Because listen to me. Let me help you out. Parents, I want you to hear me for a second. Whether you're at home, whether you're in the room, your children will not respect anyone any more than they respect their parents. So if they don't respect their parents, what do you think they're going to do to a police officer or a judge or anyone else? And so you have to establish reverence in your home, honor in your home. Because here's the deal. Every generation, right, every generation looks at the generation after them and always loves to, like, tell them they're the most disrespectful generation ever, don't they? 
Like anybody, millennials, where are y'all at in the house? Just raise your hand for a second real quick. All right. So millennials, how many, guys, how many, we've heard it over and over again. These millennials, the most disrespectful, right? And then we got this next generation, Gen Y, Z. I don't know. Justin's up to date on that. Gen whatever. <laughs> and gen, the next generation, and millennials are looking at them like, these kids stand, no, these are the most disrespectful kids we've ever seen in our life. Right? Like, we've turned into our parents. This is terrifying. Right? Like, we look at the next generation like they're the most, but can I help you out with something? Every time you look at the next generation and have something bad to say about them, remember who raised them. Okay. Right? Because they're only reproducing the principles of the previous. So if you want to change something, you don't change it in words, you change it in action, right? And so in our homes, we've got to establish what the next generation is going to do and going to be. Some people have been part of TC. Listen to me. Some people, you've been part of TC, but you're providing nothing to the culture of TC, right? Even in your home. And I'm talking about your family for a second, but help me out for a second. You aren't producing any part of yourself. Listen, for some people... And, and maybe you're in a season of transition. So if you're in a season of transition or you're in a season where you're just healing or any of those things, don't let what I'm about to say be aimed at you. This is a broad spectrum thing that I think some people need to absorb. Some of us are coming, we're sitting, we're singing, we're leaving, and God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to do more with your life. Because you have the ability to make a difference either in someone else or, listen, you have the ability to make a difference in your own children of what it means to be connected to the house of God. And we need to change that culture in our church. Why? Because I want you to understand something. Those that don't produce for the environment they take from will raise a generation that doesn't value that environment at all. I'm going to say it again. Those that don't produce for the environment they take from will raise a generation that doesn't value it at all. In other words, if you don't become, actually become a part of the ecosystem, your children in the next generation won't see any value in the ecosystem at all. And we need to say yes to some of those things. And so in other words, what you, do, what you don't value enough won't have value for your family. If you don't have enough value for your family to invest in it, be part of it, respect each other, have a reverence for elders and those that came before you, right? Then your kids won't even show up for that. Let me prove it to you, right? How many guys have had fathers? How many guys have had fathers or grandfathers in the generation before you that worked hard and told, just told the kids, just shut up and go to your room? Anybody ever experienced that kind of environment before, right? The whole shut up and go to your room environment. How many guys noticed that that generation of fathers produced the next generation of fathers that didn't just tell their kids to show up and go to the room, they just never showed up for their kids? You see, generational handoffs matter. In the church, we have the generations before us, we had parents, now I didn't, but I'm, we've heard this a lot. Over the years, we had a generation of parents who sang about a God they did not live for throughout the week. Right? And what did it do? It produced a generation of kids that want no part of the hypocrisy. It's not that they don't believe in God. They're just not going to be what their parents were for them. It's important that we reproduce what we actually want to see. Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off the way they should go. And when they get old, they won't turn from it. So we need to do that for the generation that come after us. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But what does it say? Bring them up in the discipline 
and instructions of the Lord. But hear me, not just in practice, in principle. We have to create a culture where we're teaching, right? So here, let me just put it on ground level for you and give you something practical. Parents, look at your neighbor and say, if, if you're a parent, he's talking to you. Okay, go ahead and just tell him. He's a parent, he's talking. Okay, very good. He's a parent, he's talking, right? Be consistent with your faith in your home and out of your home. I'm going to say it again. Parents, be consistent with your faith in principle and practice in your home and out of your home. Next, parents, don't let your kids tell you what their faith journey looks like. I am tired of Johnnies that are 10 years old telling their parents where they're going to church. Right? I'm tired of 13-year-olds telling their parents if they're going to church. That blows my mind. If you moved in my house, Tommy and Cindy were Buddhist when they moved in my parents' house. They still went to church. Like, you, you feel me? Like, this blows my mind. Well, you know, like, I just don't want to make them do anything they don't want to do. They don't want to brush their teeth either. Oh, they don't want to wear deodorant either. Right? They don't want to eat their vegetables. They want to eat ice cream at every meal. Some of your parents are like, I do, I do that. Right? Like, we can name off a ton of things that we make them do because it's the right thing for them now, even though they don't understand their value in it currently. We need to do the same thing in our faith journey. Listen, you don't let your toddler only drink Red Bull. Right? Now, most of that's for you. I get it. It's for you. You don't want a kid hopped up on Red Bull running around your house, right? Like, no, what do we do? We are instilling in them things they need if, even if they don't see the value yet. If you've got teenagers and you're not prioritizing student ministry for them, you're robbing them of something they're going to need later. Like, we need to understand what we're doing here, right? But it's not just in the house. It's not just in our home. It's in our house. I'll give you this and we'll wrap up in just a minute. If you're over 45 in here, I want you to hear something from me. If you are over 45 and you are in this house, I want you to hear something from you. Our church needs you. I'm going to say it again. Our church needs you. The average age in our church right now is about 32, maybe 33. Which means we have tons of young people in our church. A lot of them did not grow up in these environments. And for those of you that are over 45 and you've been saved a while and you know what it looks like to be discipled and, and, and you know what it looks like to live for the Lord, listen to me. Stop letting the 30-somethings run this church thinking we don't need you anymore. We need you, okay? And so, and here's what I'm getting at with that. It, could, could the 30-somethings greet at the door out there? You, I don't need to be on the dream team right now. They got this. Listen to me. They might have it, but we still need you. And listen to me. Is greeting at the door the most important thing for you? Maybe not, but it might be who you're greeting at the door next to is the most important thing for you, right? Because they have questions about their marriage and their finances and their homes and how to raise their kids. And if the only input they're getting is other 28-year-olds' input, we got no wisdom coming into our lives. So listen to me. If you're in the older generation, generation stop thinking these young kids got it we're doing all right we'll just go to brunch early no find somewhere to serve because we need you we need you so engage a team somewhere and start saying yes listen because it's not about yes we want you to make a difference in the guests at the door serve with the kids for all those things but I just want to invite you to change your mentality for a second because if if all we're going to do is complain about the next generation but we're going to do nothing to change them then quit using your words if you're not willing to step up with your actions 
And I'm inviting you into a place, please. And the people that are clapping right now aren't in their 60s. I'm looking around the room. It's everyone that's under 40s clapping right now saying, please. And listen to me, part of the reason why is because they didn't have parents doing these things for them. They found God after they left their parents' house, not in it. And they're going, I just wish somebody that was 55 or 65 would sit next to me at a door and greet and start asking me about my marriage so I can know how to love my husband or my wife better. I wish someone that was in their 60s would sit next to me at a group and tell me how I can be better for my children because I, I don't have it. I don't have it figured out. All I know is I don't want to be my parents, but I don't know what I want to be. Help us. So listen to me. If you haven't gone through next steps, go through next steps. We'll help you figure out how to make that possible. If you've already gone through next steps and you're just chilling, sitting on your hands, please change that. We need you. Because the only way we can establish a legacy of honor in the house is to put those that we're trying to honor in the environments that we honor them in. So help us so that we can move forward. And so hear me. Every person from the previous generation has a responsibility to the current generation to establish a culture of honor so that they can hand it off to the next generation. Right? When we look at Titus 2, we'll read this and we'll, we'll wrap up today. Older women, teach what is good. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. And it goes on to list a number of things that we should teach them. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 Commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're, going, and when you're getting up. Essentially what he's saying in Deuteronomy there is you got to teach the next generation. But listen, you never take a break from it. Some of the greatest teachings I ever got from my dad wasn't when he sat me down on the table and was like, all right, we need to talk. It was just walking through the woods or building something with my hands. And he would teach me things. I didn't, I didn't even know he was teaching me at the time. He was just teaching me. What does that mean? We should, all, we should, it's not a practice of instilling in the next generation. It's a principle of it that just never stops. And for some of us, we need to do this in our homes. But I, as a pastor, I think we definitely need to do this in our house. And when we look at the Bible that I showed you earlier, Abraham dug wells and built altars. And when we look later in the book of Genesis around chapter 26, we see that his son Isaac tried to dig his own wells, but they just didn't work. He tried to build his own altars, but they didn't get to stay in those places. And you want to know what he did? It says he went back to the wells that his father dug and reopened them because that's where he wanted to draw from. And I think it's so important that we recognize for ourselves for our generation, for the next generation. And we need to build some altars that we're gonna show our families what it means to worship and love the Lord. And we need to dig some wells that the generations after us are coming back to these places, both physically, but also spiritually, to pull from them, to know what we want, to know what they want. So honor is either something that you continue, honor is either something you continue or listen to me, something you need to establish. So if you didn't come from a generation of honor, you don't have wells to go to to pull from because your parents or grandparents didn't do that for you, listen, then dig them yourself for the next generation. What you didn't get isn't an excuse not to give it to the next generation for you. Let's change how we do that. At TC, we can see further because we're standing on other people's shoulders. The generations that came before us, Pastor Dan, Miss Kathy, thank you. But there's also some families in this church 
they were in my living room when this church started. Right? Willie, Shay, Stevens, thank you. Right? Van, True, Jasmine, thank you. Alan Ponds, thank you. Sherry Ponds, thank you. Sandy Wilbanks, thank you. Because if you hadn't said yes, I don't know that we'd all be here right now. We want to establish honor. And so what does this matter for our vision? The vision is big and innovation is possible because we stand on the shoulders of those who gave their lives to this mission before us. I'm inviting you, let's do the same. We do it in our home and we do it in this house. God will honor, honor. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you're speaking life into us. And we thank you that, Father, we can look to you for everything that we need. Help us establish honor in our lives, in our homes, and in this church. As we do that, God, we know you're gonna do amazing things. We thank you today and we love you in Jesus' name. If you're here today, very quickly, you're far from God, you don't know Jesus, sin has separated you from God, but you're ready to say yes to him. I wanna invite you to say this prayer with me. This prayer doesn't make you saved. All it's acknowledging is I'm putting my faith in Jesus that when he died on the cross, he paid for my sins. And because he died for me, I can be saved. And the whole church is gonna pray this prayer with you if you pray it out loud. So let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. I believe you died for me, so I give you my life. Make me brand new. Give me a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that past the first time. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. Mytc.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.